Let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 41. We're going to take a look at a passage in Isaiah and a subject that I've been wanting to talk about for a while, and that is the subject of fear. Fear. So Isaiah chapter 41, if you turn in your Bibles with me, that would be wonderful. And we're going to be looking at verses 8 through 10 this morning of Isaiah 41, 8 through 10. But you, Israel, are my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the descendants of Abraham, my friend, you whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from the farthest regions and said to you, you are my servant, I have chosen you and have not cast you away. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. Father, we come before you as we talk about fear, which is something we all struggle with in one form or another. Help us, Lord, to know that you are with us and that you will uphold us that we may be bold and stand for you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of my favorite quotes from an American president was from FDR when he said, Courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the assessment that something else is more important than fear. Let me read that again. I think that's important, okay? Courage is not the absence of fear but rather the assessment that something else is more important than fear. What are you afraid of? What is your worst fear? I hate to even bring up that topic here in church, but it's a question that every Christian needs to wrestle with. The reason I say that is because Satan is a master at exploiting your fear. Satan will often use your fear to hold you back, to restrain you, to hinder you from moving forward, from taking that next step. And though everyone may fear something different, fear is a common natural emotion that we all struggle with. Fear can be a good thing, and there are strengths to it, but fear can also be a weakness that can easily be exploited if allowed to. For example, fear can keep you from walking off the edge of a building. Fear can keep you from doing something that you know is going to harm you and maybe even kill you. The Bible even tells us in Proverbs 1.7 that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. But fear can also be exploited, and it can be a weakness in our life. Often when we struggle with fear, it is that fear that is maybe unknown to others, but truly well known to us. When Jesus walked among us, he warned his disciples that fear could be exploited, that fear could be taken advantage of, that fear could be manipulated 
and even denying God. And he warned his people in Matthew 10.28, And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. I have seen the American people manipulated due to their fear over the last 18 months. Individuals who want to do the right thing. Individuals who want to stay safe. But after information and and data has come out to show us and other examples from around the world demonstrate to us that there were other approaches during this time of pandemic... It appears now that I can say for certain, with certainty that our politicians exploited people's fear for the purpose of control. Fear can be easily exploited. And I know I've said that several times. But I want you to know and understand the vulnerability that fear brings into our life. Again, it can be healthy in, in some cases, but it can also be a detriment in others. This morning I want to take you to Isaiah, where Isaiah spoke to God's people during a very difficult time. Isaiah uh, writes to the Israel who had just been brought into the Assyrian captivity, but full well knowing that Judah later on would be brought into the Babylonian captivity. They would be subjected to foreign governments that did not respect their God. And God would be doing it for the purpose of chastening His people, bringing about correction and judgment upon them for their disobedience to to Him. But God wanted to assure them that this was a temporal state that they were going to experience. Because being displaced in the manner in which they were could easily cause them great fear that God has abandoned us. That God has cast us off and God has sentenced us to die. So through the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah now encourages God's people, those who are His, those whom, whom God knew from the, before the foundations of the world. And He gives them five pillars in which to stand upon to combat fearfulness. It is these five pillars that I want to give you this morning to guard your heart and mind, to reassure you, to hold you up during times of great fear, and to allow yourself to continue to look objectively at the world, objectively at God, rather than being overwhelmed by emotions such as fear and just lurking at God in a distorted manner to close the door of exploitation to keep satan from hindering you from all that god has for you and he gives us five principles but before we look at those five principles let us establish a certainty from the very beginning that certainty is found in verses eight and nine of our text 
Again, Isaiah is speaking to Israel, those governed by God, those who are God's people. He calls them my servant in relationship to God. He is writing to us today. He is speaking to us today, those governed by God, saved by the grace of Jesus Christ, followers of Jesus through the time in which we live today. And the same God that was found in the Old Testament was found in the person of Jesus Christ and is the same God today, for God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But knowing that we are children of God gives us the beginning, the understanding, the placement, and the position to allow ourselves to adopt what are not only commands in verse 10, but also promises of God. Jacob, who I have chosen, the descendants of Abraham, my friend, whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest regions and said to you, you are my servant, I have chosen you and have not cast you away. It would be easy for the children of Israel to think that God had cast them away simply by evaluating and looking at their circumstances that surrounded them. And one of the things I've learned by studying the Bible these many years is that people are people are people, right? What they struggled with in the Bible is very similar to what we struggle with today, because people are people. And because of that, because people are people, we too, like them, could easily ascertain from our circumstances that we may be experiencing that in some way they indicate that God has abandoned us, that He has cast us off, that we had done something so grievous that He no longer can use us for His purposes, for His glory, that somehow, some way, we have now been excluded from the purposes and plans of God. God promises us in the New Testament that He chastens those in whom He loves. And one of the circumstances that we can find ourselves in that could immediately cause us to determine that God has cast us off is the fact that we go through a difficult trial. Trials are hard to go through. They are very difficult. That's why we looked at them so in, in depth over the last few weeks. But now we realize that God brings about these trials. He allows these trials for our betterment. Because He loves us too much to leave us the way He found us. And that He's not casting us off. He's not throwing us to the side. He's working in us to eventually work through us. Because one of the conclusions we came to is God is much more concerned about your eternal glory than He is about your temporal comfort. And when we have that understanding of God, when we realize that the trial that I'm going through, even if it's self-induced, even if I have brought it on myself due to my disobedience, God is still working in it for my betterment because all things work together for good to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose.
And that good is to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. God knew that this captivity of Israel and the captivity of Judah would rid them once and for all of the idolatry that they pursued continuously up until this point. It would prepare them for the coming of their Messiah and whom unfortunately they rejected anyway. But God establishes this truth with them that I believe He wants to establish with us today and that is that God is for us and therefore who can be against us? What shall I fear? That God is not capable of contending with, dealing with. He begins it all with these two words that you find throughout the Bible in verse 10. Fear not. Fear not. It's a command. Don't be fearful. Fear not. And right now we could all probably say, well, Lord, that's easier said than done. Fear is a powerful emotion. It's a powerful, powerful emotion. And through history we have seen when people tend to exploit others, when we see authoritarians try to bring their populace that is under them to submission, they often use fear to do so. And the people then succumb because they want that fear to be alleviated, they want to feel safe and secure. And one of the things that God tried to communicate to His people early on when they cried for a king, if you remember. When Israel cried for a king because they wanted to be like every nation around them, God said that no king will give you the security that I will and the safety that I will. But they wanted to be like all of the other nations. One of the reasons we see the confusion in our world today that we do is because we've abandoned God. And that abandonment of God has left us in a place of insecurity and wondering and fear. As a nation, it appears that we are more fearful today than ever before. And I think that's directly correlated with the fact that we have pushed God to the side to believe that something else in this world can give us that security apart from God. But God wants His people to know that no security from fear can be discovered or obtained or maintained in this world apart from Him. Throughout the Bible, it is clear that there were many times that the children of Israel, due to their fear, did not obey God. When Moses kept going in before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh then retaliated and made things even harder upon the nation of Israel each and every time Moses went in before him, the people turned against Moses because it was getting so difficult for them and they became fearful of Pharaoh's wrath. And they began to question their God. When the they finally were led out of Egypt and through the wilderness. And that day that they finally came to the edge of the land in which God had promised them, instead of going in and possessing it, they sent 12 spies in. And 10 came out fearful 
because there were giants in the land, the Bible says. There's no way that we can overcome what is before us. But even amongst that majority, there were still two that were speaking reason on behalf of God. Joshua and Caleb came out and said, it's cake. No problem for God whatsoever. Unfortunately, the people listened to the majority rather than to the minority. And they they chose to trust themselves and their ability rather than that of the ability of God. And as a result, they wandered through the wilderness for 40 years. I think of David and Goliath when the soldiers were all intimidated and fearful due to the size and the overwhelming ability of Goliath. And it was a young shepherd boy that needed to show them and demonstrate that standing in the faith of God at that moment would overcome the fear in their hearts. Today, more than ever, we need not allow Satan to exploit our fear and lead us to disobey God. We need by faith now to stand on the promises of God that He gives us through His Word. And we need to keep moving forward. I think I heard that somewhere. And as a result, we will be able to overcome the obstacles and the hindrances that the devil brings before us. In the book of Exodus, chapter 14, verses 13 and 14, God writes, And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will accomplish for you today. Of course, they were standing before the Red Sea. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. Meaning you'll retain your peace. Why can we choose to fear not? Here we go. Here's the promise. We first had the command, now we have the promise. Number one, I am with you. God is with us. This is so important. Because often we become fearful when we feel that we are separated from God, that God is distant from us, that God doesn't hear us and He doesn't understand what we're going through. It's easy at that moment to allow fear to swell up within us, to hinder us from keeping moving forward. Always let us understand that God plus one is always the majority in any circumstance. And again, He eased their minds of the sense that he may have abandoned them. I am with you. Notice here that when he talks about this, he is reassuring them again of his presence among them. And it's in conjunction with, again, to be not dismayed. This word dismayed means to be trepid, to be trepidatious, to be cowering, to be weak. We often become dismayed when we forget the greatness of God. We forget who He is and what He is capable of doing. We can easily become dismayed 
when we find ourselves in a position where we evaluate our circumstances based upon our own personal ability. We often can become fearful when we feel as if we are going to lose something that is so important to us and yet God seems to be unaware of that importance to us. We can become dismayed. We can become trepidatious when we forget the greatness of God. Listen to these verses, if you will. They'll be on the screen behind me. Deuteronomy 31.8, notice what he says. And the Lord, He is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Sound familiar? Do not be dismayed. When Joshua had the awesome responsibility of taking the people into the land in which God promised them, notice what God said to him in Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded you? Meaning, have I not asked you to do this, Joshua? Have I not put you in this position? He says, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. In the New Testament, these ideas are reiterated in these verses. In Hebrews 13, 5 and 6, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have, for he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Or as Paul wrote so eloquently in Romans 8.31 when he stated, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? In each and every one of these cases, God added to the equation, God remembered in the circumstances, God retained in the fear in which we are overwhelmed by, will help us to overcome the fear that we have. But not only is God with us, allowing us to remain faithful and courageous, but He reassures us one step further into the second idea, and that is, as we are not to be dismayed, for I am your God indicating a personal relationship with His people. Indicating that His people are with Him. That He knows what they are in need of before they ask. That His ear is never deaf to hear or His hand or arm too short to intervene on their behalf. That God is with them. As Paul wrote, he said this, when it comes to adopting all the promises of God that God has made towards His people, because from the beginning of the foundations of the world, you were chosen in Him for His purposes and His glory. You were given that status of joint heir with Jesus Christ. As Paul wrote in Romans eight twenty-eight and 30, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good 
for those who are called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And those in whom he predestined he also called. And those whom he called he also justified. And those in whom he justified he also glorified. Notice the similarity in what Paul says there and what God says through Isaiah to his people. God has chosen us for his purposes and for his plans to glorify him. And because you are his, and because you are joint heirs with Christ, all the promises of God to you are yes and amen. And you can count on them to allow you to stand in your time of vulnerability due to fear. But then he goes on, notice with me in verse 10, he goes, I will strengthen you. That word strengthened in the Hebrew means more than just given physical strength. It means courage. That courage is accompanied with boldness. It allows you not only to stand when you feel weak, when he is, then he is strong. It is not only that faithfulness when you feel, fa- uh, you know, you lack faithfulness. It is the courage and the boldness to see you to victory. It is a momentum that is given to you. For in fact, we see this again in Joshua 1.9, if I may bring you back to that verse. I have, not com- have I not commanded you? He says, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That word courage there equals the strength that we are talking about here. The strength to carry on. The strength to fulfill what God has called you to do. We see this in the New Testament in Acts chapter 4 verse 13. When Peter and John stood before the religious leaders in Acts 4. Now they saw, that is the religious leaders saw, the boldness of Peter and John. And perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men. They marveled and realized that they had been with Jesus. Their association with Jesus gave them a certainty, a confidence, a strength, a boldness to stand before the religious leaders who could very well have them killed. And notice that this boldness was also given to all of the brethren when John and Peter were released later on in Acts 4 and 29 through 31. Now the Lord looked on their, now they say, excuse me, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants with all boldness that they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit And they spoke the word of God again with that boldness to accomplish what God had set them to do. This strength that God gives us permeates and sees us past our physical limitations and allows God to work in and through us for His glory and for His purposes. It allows us to overcome the incredibly strong emotion of fear 
that would cause us to back down at that moment. God strengthens us. He allows us to push through that fear that we may fulfill with boldness the things that He has us to fulfill. But He doesn't stop there. Number four. Notice what God says in verse 10, number four. And He says, yes. And that word yes in the Hebrew could also mean for sure. For sure, I will help you. I will help you. How many times did God have to come to the aid of His people in the Old Testament? If it wasn't the exodus from Egypt in which Pharaoh, of course, continued to harden his heart and then finally God continued to harden Pharaoh's heart, God brought about the ten plagues that broke the hardness of Pharaoh's heart allowing his people to be released. Then leading them through the wilderness. Bringing him, I'm sorry, leading him through the desert to the point that they came to the Red Sea with their backs up against it. Cliffs on each side of them. The Egyptian army bearing down from behind them. It looked like all things were hopeless. And then God made a way because God helped His people and saw them safely across the bottom of that sea. When they came to Jericho, they could have tried to overcome it in their personal military capability as a nation, but God simply had them march around the walls of Jericho. And then on the last lap that they took, they blew the trumpets and the walls came crumbling down. Again, this is the manner in which God helps His people. And God says, I will help you. It's not only that I am your God and that I am with you and I will strengthen you, I will actually help you accomplish it. Growing up, my dad and I, well, let me rephrase that. My dad said he liked to put together models. You know, remember those plastic models? You know, you went and you bought it and you saw the cover and it was just like, oh, that airplane looks so cool. Then you open the box and there's nine million pieces. And they expect you to put little glue dots here and there to allow it to all come together. And every time going to this place called Kmart, does anybody remember Kmart's? Kmart's with the blue light special. I am convinced that my entire child wardrobe was blue light special Kmart products. It means that they were discounted. No, it really meant that nobody else wanted them and they were hoping that someone would come and buy them. But every time my dad and I would go into the toy aisle, we'd always go to the models because he always told me how much he liked doing models. And then he would pick one out that he likes and says, hey, we'll do it together. Yeah, right. I always ended up trying to put the model together myself. And then my dad would then say, well, you've already done it all wrong, so you might as well just keep doing it wrong, you know. And then he would often, in all honesty, as I thought I was abandoned at that moment, After I would go to bed, he would often go back and fix it, what I had done. Our God helps us 
And it's a wonderful exercise to keep a journal of your prayers and also then also to keep space next to those prayers. And later on, as God answers those prayers, write and remember how he has answered those prayers. And you will see the help of God each and every step of the way. From the very beginning, Jesus promised that he would send us a helper. In John 14, 16 through 17, Jesus said, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you, how long? Forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And if that wasn't enough help, that is the presence of the Holy Spirit, we have the invitation that God gives us in Hebrews 4.16. When he says, Therefore let us come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to what? Help in the time of need. God helps us through these periods of time, and therefore we need not be afraid. But not only does he help us, but he concludes here in verse 10. And he says, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. The right hand of God has always been a place of authority. It's been a place of privilege in the family of God. When Jesus Christ ascended into heaven, he sat down at the right hand of God. When Peter, I'm sorry, when Stephen was being stoned, he stood up from the right hand of God to welcome Stephen into heaven. It's a place of authority. It's a place of prominence. It's a place of privilege within the family of God. As being joint heirs with God, we are allowed that privilege. We are his kids. Now, please, I'm not saying for a moment that we are equal to Jesus in any way, shape, or form. But Paul abundantly makes it clear in Romans that we have become joint heirs, that we can call God Abba, Father, our Dad. And as Dad takes us by the hand through this world, let us know that He does so as a loving father with a child. This is why Paul wrote in Galatians 4-7 when he says, You are no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. And in Romans 8, 14 and 17, Paul writes again, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. This is the five pillars that we can stand on in our time of fear. fear, When we're fearful. And our hearts and minds are overwhelmed by that fear. We need not be afraid. Let us lean into and trust God. No matter what you are experiencing today, no matter what you are contending with today, 
When the children of Israel fell short and they chose not to enter into the land in which God had for them, God had them wander in a wilderness for 40 years to allow that generation, of course, to die off. But today we enter into a wilderness in our mind. Instead of trusting God, instead of allowing faith to secure us, to be a rock beneath us, we choose to enter into another wilderness. And I like to call it this, the wilderness of what-ifs. What if this happens? Or what if that happens? Or what if this occurs? Or what if that occurs? Or what if this transpires? And we begin to fill our mind with this wilderness of what-ifs. Now these things may be questions to us, but they are not questions to God. God already knows every step that we are going to take. God already has the path before us planned out. We just need to keep following it. We don't have to be fearfuls of what-ifs. For the what-if can be defined and can be dealt with by God. If there's any question that we should concern ourselves that begins with what-if, I would say this, what if I choose not to follow God? What will happen then? What if I choose to put Him on the back burner and go by the emotion of my fear? Those are questions we could be concerned with. But if we think that we are going to find a world of complete safetyism, it's a new word that's being used. I encourage you to find out what that word means. It's an environment that people are promising to create for us where there isn't any risk or there isn't any uh, you know, harm, there isn't any you know, wrongdoing. And we heard it for years, right? I heard it for years. We're creating a safe place. We're creating a safe church. I actually had someone ask me, you know, is your church a safe place? No, we like to put hazards before everybody's lives. Uh, of course, this is what I was thinking and not saying. We want to see how much harm we can cause by the end of the hour service. We heard it for years, haven't we? That has developed in a concept, a philosophical concept called safetyism. We know that this pandemic is going to end in an endemic. COVID is going to be around just like the cold and the flu is. And we're going to have to contend with it for a long period of time. But because our politicians wanted to... promise us a safety, a safe society, we adopted an idea called COVID-0, which is absolutely impossible to obtain. We haven't cured the common cold. The CDC announced this week or last week that we're all going to have to get flu shots because flu season is going to be terrible this year. We know how things go, right? We've been contending with the flu, and now we're going to have to contend with COVID. It's a reality. The world is not a safe place. It doesn't matter what we try to do to create one. It never will be a safe place. Perfectly safe, I mean. That no harm can you know, come whatsoever. 
you know, we all make our jokes about those pictures of kids today on their bike, you know, wrapped in bubble pack with a helmet this big on and, and so forth and training wheels until they're, you know, 17 and, um, and so forth to keep them safe. And then they had the pictures of the 70s where kids, you know, were just going crazy, you know, with, uh, on their bikes and, you know, nobody cared or nobody thought about it. You know, I never remember being put into a car seat in my dad's car. Now, these things are practical and they're wise, but again, if we want to believe that our politicians and our government are going to be able to comp- you know, compile a safe society, why don't they begin with the murders in the city of Chicago? Let's start there. So in next time that they try to exploit your fear, remember these. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not fear or be dismayed because I am your God, for I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you, and surely I will uphold you by my right hand.